And at this time, we have the pleasure of introducing some new members. And so I'm going to ask Annalise Sneller and Teo and Beth Beals to join me up here. Um, it's such an exciting morning to get to introduce three new members. And so as you know, we like to... Let me make room. Um, I, I don't know if anybody's planning on taking a picture, but you know we like to get pictures to document these things, Caroline. Um, so cameras are allowed in this church for the purpose of sharing with those that are missing what they missed. And um, we are so excited to have new members. And we like to hear a little snapshot, but they can't share their whole life story. So I've asked them if they could each share just briefly a couple of minutes to give us an idea of how the Lord's love has been impacting you or maybe some change that he's been bringing about in your life. And so, um, Annalie, I'm going to let you start. Great. So like she said, my name is Annalie Sneller. Um, And not the last ministry update, but the one before that, um, I shared that the Lord has been teaching me that he's called me to be bold, but a gentle boldness. Um, And at the time, I was like, what does that actually mean? (laughs) I have no idea. Um, So he's still been laying that on my heart, but recently he has given me opportunities to act out in boldness, and not only do I know that he's called me to be bold, but I feel bold, and also, like, even when I don't feel bold in my emotions, I know that I am emboldened and empowered by the Spirit, and I walk, and I can walk with that authority, Um, and the Lord placed the verse on my life that he has not given me a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and self-control. So that is who he's called me to be. Um, So yes, the Lord is calling me to be bold. So that's one thing. And then the next thing is life is weird and things happen and things change. And I'm sure you all know that. And the world is tumultuous and we feel sometimes like we're sitting in a little rowboat on like a big sea and we're like, what is happening? I feel like that. Um, But the Lord is continually calling me to him and saying, I am your reality and I am what you need to focus on. Like, don't focus on the world around you because that'll just cast you off of the boat into the sea. That's no good. So look at me because I am never changing. I'm constant. I'm faithful. I am always good. So look at me, and I will give you a straight path, and I will empower you, and I will lead you. That's what the Lord is doing. Thank you. So I'm Theo Beals, and I'm always surprised what the Lord has in store for us. I did not grow up in a Christian home and was pretty lost when the Lord in my early 20s called me to follow Jesus, and I didn't have a clue what that meant. But that gave me the opportunity to be involved in different churches, different denominations. And the Lord spoke to me again to go into missions and end up in Nepal, where I met my beautiful wife. Again, this was completely unexpected and not scripted by me. As a good Dutch person, I always was planning my future, which (laughs) didn't work out. And then when my retirement was approaching, the Lord nudged me to go into healing prayer And I ended up in North Carolina, where I met Pastor Gina and Pastor Dave three years ago during the Advanced Healing Prayer Course. And uh, 
via some roundabout ways that brought me here to gold. So I'm really glad and privileged and grateful to the Lord that I can join this family and be adopted in this family. Mm. Thank you. Well, I was born in Kansas in a Christian home, but was raised in Kentucky in a free Methodist, small, small congregation in Kentucky. And um, being raised in a Christian home is great, but as is the case, you learn more for what your parents do than what they say. For example, my mother always said, there's room for one more at the table all the time. And this is before you know, homeless shelters, so we had lots of people living with us all the time. And my dad had spent three years after World War II going to concentration camps and helping to put families back together again and put their lives back together again. And that also spoke volumes to me. So um, when I became a nurse, I decided to go into the mission field. And I chose the country on the furthest side of the, the globe. But people said, any way I go, I get closer to home. And they warn you not to get married on the mission field because you're serving the Lord. But I think it's the best place, actually, women to find a spouse because you know a lot about them over there. Um, and, um, but I think it's in Nepal where my faith grew the most because it was tested the most. And when you allow yourself to get out of your comfort zone and be tested, you grow stronger in the Lord. Um, I think if you would ask me what my scripture is that I go to in the Bible all the time um, for learning is the Sermon on the Mount. It says some hard things, but it also says some comforting things. And if you would ask me for my theme song for my life, it's take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And I'm looking forward to this congregation helping me to live that out. Thank, thank each of you for sharing. You've each given us already something rich to think about and ponder, right? And to emulate their role modeling, even in their um, joining the church, um, ways that they are following Jesus. And um, praise the Lord. I am going to ask you these questions as a group um, to reprofess your faith. You've each made profession of faith at other times in other churches, but we're asking to reprofess, to reannounce um, your faith. And if you're agreeable to these four questions, I'm going to ask you, you together would say, I do, God helping me. So do you, as you stand here now in the presence of God and his people, respond to these four questions, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, sent to redeem the world? Do you love and trust him as the one who saves you from your sin? And do you, with repentance and joy, embrace him as the Lord of your life? Do you believe that the Bible is the word of God, revealing Christ and his redemption, and that the confessions of this church faithfully reflect this revelation? Number three, do you accept the gracious promises of God sealed to you in your baptism? And do you affirm your union with Christ and his church, which your baptism signified? And fourth, do you promise to do all you can with the help of the Holy Spirit to strengthen your love and commitment to Christ by sharing faithfully in the life of the church, honoring and submitting to its authority, and do you join with the people of God in doing the work of the Lord everywhere. And what is your answer? I do. I do. God help me. Thank you.
And then congregation, um, I want to ask you, do you promise to love and support, pray for and encourage and embrace these new members as members of our very own family here at Gold Avenue? And if you do, we say, we do, God helping us. Let's praise the Lord. <laughs> so we, we welcome you to full membership and um, blessings to you. You'll um, learn from us, as you mentioned, but we'll learn much from you. So thank you. All right. And I'm also going to ask Stephanie to come up. Stephanie McLean is getting ready to head off to do some ministry. Um, and... Uh, I don't know what Beth said about finding a spouse. I don't think that's the purpose of you going there. But um, you are, you are going, you are going um, to lead some ministry. Could you tell us what you're getting ready to do? Yeah, so tomorrow morning I'm leaving for North Carolina for two weeks for two separate events. Um, we do a lot of partnership with Presbyterian Reform Ministries International, and I work part-time for them over the youth and young adults. And... Um, So I'm going for our two summer events. And so the first event will be for With the Wind, which is for our 18 to 30s. And it's a retreat-style event where we um, spend an entire week immersed in some learning and some life and small groups. And so we are going to be studying discernment and spiritual warfare in the millennial generation. And so we could definitely use some prayer. Um, And then... um, And then the second one, so that's Tuesday through Saturday, and then the next one starts on Monday, and it's for 14 to 18-year-olds, and so that is our high school camp. And, oh, P.S. with the wind, Victoria's coming down for that one. And then um, the next one is Upward Challenge, and Mark and Jackie are bringing five of our youth down, um, and that is a week-long camp. They camp out in the woods in North Carolina, and... um, We are focusing on learning about spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us and how to cooperate. And so um, I am co-directing both events. Um, So it's a lot of uh, details and prayer and leadership, and I am fully and wholly dependent upon the Holy Spirit to be stepping into these roles. Um, And so I would love if you would be praying for me and the events. They are two largest Um, events so far. We have 30 signed up for the young adult one and 75 for the youth. So um, it's our, we're past capacity for both. So that the Lord would bring unity on our leadership as well as in the events both themselves. We're going to continue our sermon series in the book of Philippians. We'll be in chapter four at the very beginning of that chapter this morning. So Philippians 4, 1 to 3. This is an important message as we've just added into our congregation three people with diverse backgrounds. As we look around at one another, we come from diverse backgrounds in a variety of ways diverse. And um, the Lord calls us to unity. And so this is an important message for us this morning. Philippians 4, 1 to 3. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love 
and I long for, my joy and my crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Judea and I plead with Syndicate to have the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. With Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. The Lord is the Lord, and he has his way. He has his way and said, today will be a day of a cappella singing. This week I sensed the Lord saying, this will be a different sermon preparation. You'll memorize this scripture. I have a learning disability. I have slow processing. I don't memorize well at my age. And the Lord really impressed on me, memorize this scripture. And so I learned it with hand motions. And I worked and walked and worked and walked in memorizing. Because I believe it's a message that's a heart-to-heart message. It's a message from the Lord to us this morning as his people about walking in unity. And it starts off with the words, therefore. And if you see the word therefore, you ask, well, what's it there for? And it actually is kind of bringing us through the whole... He's, this, remember, we're preaching this week by week, but this is actually a letter that they stood up and read all at once. So he's saying, from the very beginning of what I've been saying to you, therefore, so he's kind of starting to pull it all together. Well, what have we learned about this um, letter that he's written? First of all, it was written by Paul. And Paul wrote it, remember, in chains from prison, chained to a guard, and they changed that guard every four hours. He was in Rome, and he's writing to the church in Philippi that he helped start back, I think it was on his second missionary journey. Philippi, about a six-month trip walking to get there. And so he's written a letter, and he sent it back to that church. Philippi was a church that was started with a group of women. And he's writing to address a conflict between a couple of women. And so this church started with women in leadership. This church has grown. It's in a strategic mission location. There's travel from the east to the west. Well, let's see, the east to the west. All right. So they're in a strategic mission location. And the church is... um, one that he dearly, dearly loves, and yet he has this strong warning for them because he sees something that's very concerning. And he's talked to them about several things that were enemies of the gospel. Enemies of the gospel. If you remember, he mentioned to them right off the bat that he was in chains, but there was this group of Roman Christians, and so praise the Lord that God was causing the gospel to advance even because of his Roman guards that he was um, chained to. They were becoming 
Christians, but there were some Roman Christians that were out preaching the gospel in order to stir up more trouble for Paul because they were envious. And so that was a risk. That was um, an enemy of the gospel. There was also, if you remember last Sunday, there were the Judaizers, or maybe it was two weeks ago, the Judaizers, those, um, those mutilators of the flesh. Remember how he used that harsh language? Because they were teaching that salvation wasn't just by grace alone through faith, but they were trying to add something to it. They were saying grace plus circumcision, grace plus tradition. And he said that's an enemy of the gospel. That is not the truth. That's false teaching. But there was one more problem that he mentioned, and he mentioned that in that same section from chapter 3 where he talked about selfishness. That we can't act as if if we receive salvation by grace, that Jesus is only our Savior, but not our Lord. We cannot go around acting like we are Lord. He is Lord. And so it was a risk, it was a problem coming against the gospel going forward and the true gospel going forward. And selfishness. When we are not looking to Jesus to lead our way, but when we're looking to be in charge, that can lead to personal conflict. Because how many people can be in charge? The Lord needs to be in charge of his church. And he looks to us to come into unity with what he wants for the church. And so there was a conflict. What was the problem? Well, the problem that's addressed today was not women in leadership. If it was women in leadership, he would have said, all right, my true companion, I want you to go and get these women out of leadership. They should not be in leadership. Put some men in their place and everything will get worked out. He didn't say that. And several of the commentators made a point that if you're looking for a place that maybe indicates that it's okay for women to be in leadership, this is a passage that you could look to. So women in leadership isn't the problem, and it's not wrong doctrinal teaching because Paul doesn't mince words. He names it when he sees that because he corrects it when he sees wrong teaching. But it was something else, and it was probably something more along the lines of they just didn't see eye to eye. He He said... Help these women have the same mind in the Lord. Help them to have the same mind. Help them to see eye to eye in the Lord. Help their differing views or their differing desires or their difference of opinion or background, their diversity, come into unity, to have unity even in their diversity. He doesn't say that we have to, there's a problem with thinking differently. The problem is when that conflict or that difference of opinion persists and carries. Now, friends, we've had a problem in church history with having some conflicts of opinion that carry on and have caused division and rifts over the years. And so I looked at church history this week, and I looked at music history within the church. So in the early church... It was similar to today. It was vocals only up through about the 10th century. 
Then in the 10th century, someone decided to bring in the organ. And so they started to add the organ in. All right, so there was the organ and there was vocals. And then they said that the worship wars, they didn't start back in the 70s and 80s, contrary to popular opinion. They actually started in about the 15th century with the Reformation. In the Reformation, there were differences of opinion. And the Roman Catholics had, um, let me think about this, they had instrumentals and organ, but no congregational singing. Okay? The Calvinist, they had congregational singing of the Psalms with no instruments. The Lutherans, they had something different. They had a combination of instruments and vocalists and sometimes invited the congregation to sing with those that were leading. Can you hear the difference? So there were three differing views, and they said that's actually where worship wars really got going. Can you imagine that it's gone all the way back? Now, do you think that there's necessarily one right way to worship the Lord? That we can only do it with instrumentals, or we can only do it with vocals, or we can only do it with professional people, and the congregations shouldn't sing. There's even some denominations, I think it's Church of Christ, that doesn't have instruments today because they say they don't see anything in the New Testament that talks about instruments directly, and so they're trying to follow the biblical principle. Others go back to the Old Testament and said, well, in the Psalms it talks about praising him with the lyre and the harp, and so stringed instruments. Let's just have stringed instruments only. We'll only have the bass guitar and the acoustic guitar. All right, Um, those that were singing with just, um, oh, I forgot one more. The Western churches, it went with the organ and instruments. The Eastern Orthodox, they had ancient percussion instruments only. So Maddie was sitting up here on a box, and I don't know what you call that thing. What? What? A cajon. Well, um, I don't know that that's necessarily the ancient percussion instrument, but we were actually worshiping today maybe a little bit more in line with Eastern Orthodox. But can you see where if you're judging each other and you're not asking the Lord for wisdom about this, that this could be a source of um, conflict. And if conflict persists, that's what's the problem because... If conflict persists, then we're at risk because that conflict becomes an idol that we focus on and it takes our focus off of the Lord and our unity of mission and purpose. And so that's when we're out of step with God's kingdom. It risks the mission. And so this conflict had to be addressed. It had to be addressed that Paul would um, write them And he says, I plead with you. And he says, he doesn't just plead with one of them. He gives equal words, the exact same thing. I plead with you, Udiah. I plead with you, Syndicate. He uses the same words. The emphasis is the same emphasis for both. I plead with you 
to have the same mind. That word plead, I urge you, I ask you, I encourage you, I beg you. I beg you. I beg you. I beg you. If the two of you were having a conflict, I would say, I beg you. I beg you. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Paul, who started the church, who's the spiritual father and grandfather of these people, is sitting in chains. And what's on his mind? That they would have the same mind in the Lord. This is serious. This is what he's thinking about. And he writes a letter and sends it for six months. Somebody has to walk to deliver this message because it's an important message. It's a call to unity, and it's a public call because it was a public problem. You notice he did not say, I beg you to have the same mind about such and such, and this is what all is going on. He just references it because everybody knows. When it's read out loud, they all know, like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. Evan and Chess, they're having a disagreement. Oh, yeah, they, they wouldn't, you all would all know if this letter had come to Gold Avenue Church he wouldn't have to say more. You'd know. And he knows they know, and he's pleading with them. And then how does he start this plea? He starts with this string of um, affectionate titles. My brothers and my sisters. You who I love. I unconditionally love you. You're my family. You're a brother. You're a sister. I love you. You're the ones that I long for. I, can't, I sit here in this jail, and I think about you night and day, and I long for you. You are my joy. You are my crown. What in the world is he talking about? It's like a celery wreath that they would put on the athletes when they won a race. And he says, you're my victory crown. I've run the race that you would have life, that your names would be in this book of life. He loves them. He addresses the conflict in the context of love. If we're going to talk and talk about a disagreement, the first thing you need to hear out of anybody's mouth is, you are loved. If you know you're loved, then you're going to risk talking about what the disagreement is. And so he sets this context of love. Confronting a conflict is God's good grace to us. He loves us too much to let us live at tension because what does that tension do in that conflict? It robs the joy. And what has Paul been writing this letter about? He's wanting them to have um, progress in their faith and more joy in their journey with the Lord. And he doesn't want anything robbing it or snatching it. And he's saying this selfishness and these having your own opinion that are conflicting is going to rob the joy. An intermediary, he says, all right, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women. Help these women. It's okay to ask somebody else to come in and to help because sometimes if you can't see eye to eye, you kind of have you ever had it where you just talk past each other? Somebody says something and it's like you aren't even really listening to what they're saying because you already are thinking about what you're going to say 
and you just are missing each other. Sometimes I'm seeing a little elbowing. Please don't do the elbowing unless you go on both sides because it works both ways, all right? So we, sometimes we talk past each other and we need an intermediary. But it's different. Conflict resolution as brothers and sisters in the Lord is different, a little different than just conflict resolution. And I looked up, and there was a great article on helping your children learn to um, handle conflict and resolve conflict. But it isn't just about knowing your feelings, being able to recognize how somebody else might feel, identifying the problem, and um, trying to come up with problem-solving solutions and making amends. Those are all part of conflict resolution. But you notice, what does Paul keep calling him to? Stand firm in the Lord. Have the same mind in the Lord. And so he reminds us that when we're approaching conflict resolution, we are not doing this as individuals. We're doing this as community who are engrafted in Christ we are one and so it's like an autoimmune reaction if you're having conflict it's like your body is fighting itself and so he reminds us we're one body we're working on the same goal of glorifying God and seeing his kingdom advance he says stand firm stand firm He's saying, stand firm in the Lord. Don't fight the wrong battle. Your battle isn't against each other. Remember, Scripture says the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Sometimes, remember, the church in Philippi was probably suffering in some of the ways that Paul was, so they were under pressure. And when you get under pressure, sometimes do you ever take it out on the people that are closest to you? Has it ever happened? Yeah. He's saying, when you're standing firm and you're setting your ground, don't do it in fighting with each other. Like, don't draw a line in the sand and saying, I'm standing on this side of this argument, and I'm standing on this side of this argument. He's saying, stand firm together in the Lord and look to him. Don't stand firm against each other. Paul had said, these women have been contending at my side. Do you know what contending means? I had to look it up. I thought it meant working hard. It means battling. It means um, struggling, arguing after. It even means um, going for the jugular. These women are warriors for the gospel And they've worked side by side with Paul and Clement and all the others. Remember um, Epaphrodites, who I has trouble, Timothy, um, all these others who have been working for the gospel together. They've been side by side contending. We're not supposed to contend against each other. We're supposed to be contending for the gospel. That's the battle. We're not supposed to be having this internal battle. And so he says, stand firm, give everything you've got for the Lord. 
and not against each other. And then he says, stand firm in this way. And as I was walking and trying to make my motions for this, okay, so therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord and I wondered, what would my motion be? Because this is not sign language that, like, really is sign language. This is just helping get it in my brain. I'm like, in this way. And so I was kind of like, in this way, you know. So I'm walking and I'm trying that. In this way. In this way. And then I'm like, Lord, in what way? What, are, what, are, what was this? In this way. In this way. In humility. Stand firm in the Lord in Humility. My dear friends, stand firm in humility. And I was reminded that in Philippians 2, earlier in this letter, he said, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature with God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Don't, he didn't, even though he was completely and totally equal with the Father, He didn't go with his own understanding for his own advantage. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and he humbled himself, even unto death on the cross. And he's saying, in this way, stand firm in humility in your relationship as dear friends in the Lord. Is it making sense? So when we have a struggle, when we have a difficulty, a disagreement, it's all right that we don't see eye to eye for a moment, but he calls us to go to prayer. He calls us to be reminded that we're in the Lord. And in the Lord, there's humility. We're listening. We're deferring to one another. We're asking, what does the Lord want in this situation? We're putting the best of the church ahead of our own desires and i've seen this play out even as we've introduced song after song new songs into this church i don't hear rumblings of like that's not my preferred music style i don't hear that i love it the fact that people are here they're saying whatever the lord's putting on people's hearts whatever we need to learn to be contextual so that our neighborhood recognizes this music as something they might be able to sing along with right putting our own desires secondary humbling ourselves to and being committed to unity why is this important at this time it's important because we're getting ready to establish as a church And I want to tell you that the success of this church is going to be based on following God's guidance and being humble before him and humble and committed to unity. That's how we grow. And you know that when there's disagreements and things seem like they're falling apart, even as in a family, sometimes we've watched a family fall apart and how sad that is and how life sucking and draining it is the lord wants to grow a strong church family and it may look very different maybe many of us don't have these experiences of growing up having conflict resolution modeled well for us but paul helps us today to know that the success of the mission is going to be based on humbling ourselves and being committed to unity 
being committed to deferring to one another. I want to tell you that Syndicate and Udiah, other names that aren't normal for my speech, they're pagan names that meant success and lucky. These women have been having spoken over them success and luck, and they probably had some aspirations, like I need to live into this, I need to have a successful ministry, and so now I need to have a successful church. You know what? They need to be strong and stand fast in the Lord. It won't be based on their success. It won't be luck if there was any such thing as luck. It's going to be God empowering them to take the good news of what Jesus did, which normally the cross is here, right here, front and center this morning, what Jesus did on that cross by dying for our sins and rising again. And he gives us his spirit to give us the power to live in the same way, to humble ourselves before one another, to be committed to unity, just as Jesus was so committed to, to unity with the Father that he said, not my will but yours. And he gives us the same strength and humility to defer to one another for the glory of the Father. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would use your word for your purposes today to bring us even into a deeper unity, a deeper commitment to unity as a body of believers, as a family, dear brothers and sisters. And Lord, I pray that you would glorify yourself through our choice of unity in each and every situation that we might face now or Lord, go before us in the future and help us walk in the way of humility. In your name we pray. Amen.